We are less than a month away from the Orioles starting spring training in Sarasota. And the question starts to become, are the Orioles done adding to this team for 2023? And specifically, are they going to sign another free agent? We'll take a look at the options left, plus talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame ballot and some more John Angelos news coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the free agents that are left out there on the free agent market because the Orioles could certainly sign another major league player or two, but also after looking at some of these names, maybe they don't sign another free agent. Just with the guys who are left, we'll look at the starting pitchers, some of the relievers, and the hitters, specifically left-handed hitters that are still out there. And then at the end of the pod, we'll talk Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland announced Tuesday night the only player in the class of 2023. We'll talk about his connection to the Orioles and a little bit of John Angelos news, some more news about the lawsuit coming out on Tuesday. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So we'll jump right in here on a Wednesday and we're going to take a look at the free agents who are left out there for the Orioles and just in general for other teams because Ken Rosenthal wrote one of his notes columns on Tuesday over at The Athletic. And I always jump at the opportunity when Ken does mention the Orioles in those columns. It seems to happen, you know, maybe month, once a month or sometimes less as well. But he did talk about the Orioles briefly in his column, saying the Orioles have been in contact with both Zach Greinke and Jerickson Profar, who I think it's fairly easy to argue. They're probably two of the top five remaining free agents that are out there right now. Now, Ken did say that the Orioles are not especially confident that they'll land either Granky or Profar. And, you know, we'll take a closer look at both of them to see how they would really fit on the Orioles roster potentially. But it got me thinking because, you know, we've heard about the connection between the Orioles and Michael Waka, who might be the best starting pitcher remaining in free agency. And now with the O's connecting to these names, it makes you think, you know, are the O's done adding free agents or would they add another free agent? Because in terms of starting pitching, Let's start there because Michael Elias has said, you know, last week when he went on that just basically PR joke of an interview on 105.7 The Fan that you know the Orioles were still looking to add a starting pitcher. And Ken Rosenthal wrote that the Orioles, quote, continue to explore trades for starting pitchers this offseason. And I think if the Orioles do add another starting pitcher, which they should, it's, I'd say, 90% to 10%, 90% likelihood of a starting pitcher trade versus I always feel like 10% that's either Waka or, or Granky in terms of signing one in free agency. A lot of that has to do with are a lot of these guys better than what the Orioles current have, you know, the, the guys who are on the free agent market. So just specifically looking at starters, 
I tend to think Michael Waka is still the number one guy left out there. 32-year-old right-hander, had a 3.32 ERA with the Red Sox last year. Did deal with a couple of injuries, so only threw about 127 innings. And Ken Rosenthal did write a good amount about Waka in his column on Tuesday as well. And there wasn't a lot to report, but from what he's hearing, he was basically kind of assuming that Waka was asking for multiple years and maybe a little more money than teams thought he was worth heading into the offseason. And that's why Waka, despite a solid year and, and an okay track record, is still a free agent here in late January. And maybe the Orioles, you know, with the amount that it's been reported that the Orioles have talked to Waka, I am almost certain they have at least handed him an offer. And I would assume it's probably a one-year offer in the range of the $10 million the Orioles gave Kyle Gibson. And it feels like Waka, as Rosenthal wrote about, is probably asking for something more in the range of two years, 25 to 30 million, something closer to the guys like uh, Ross Stripling, for example, got, who is definitely a, a very comparable pitcher right now to Michael Waka. And I think he's totally in the right to want that because you would put Stripling and Waka in kind of the same case. And again, Stripling got two years, 25 million from the San Francisco Giants. So that could be holding things up. Now, if the Orioles really want Michael Waka, there should be nothing holding them back from handing out a two-year, $25 million contract. I know there's been the reports that the Orioles don't want to give out any multi-year deals. I had heard that they had at least offered a couple guys multi-year deals. That includes Kodai Senga and Jamison Tyone, but it wasn't nearly enough years or money. It sounded like, especially on Tyone, they did have a two-year offer out to him. Of course, he signed for four years and much more money than the Orioles gave out, but they were still at least willing to go two years, maybe not more than that. If they really want Waka and they think he's their guy, they should go after him. If not, Zach Greinke seems to be the number two starting pitcher out there on the free agent market. And again, as Ken Rosenthal write, the or writes, the Orioles have, quote, spoken with Zach Granke this offseason. But again, he said they're not especially confident that they will land Granke. Rosenthal wrote last week about the potential for Granke to just re-sign with the Royals. Remember, he was with the Royals early in his career, then came back to Kansas City last year on a one-year deal. And the thought is that he may, again, go back to the Royals to pitch for them in what will now be the age 39 season for the right-hander. I mean... Listen, Granke was still effective for a bad Royals team last year, 3.68 ERA and 137 innings. He wasn't as durable as he's been in the past. And again, the stuff is down. He doesn't really strike many guys out anymore, but still doesn't walk a lot of guys and still gets soft contact. And again, a 3.68 ERA is a 3.68 ERA. That helps out any Major League Baseball team. And if the O's want, you know, a big-time leader and, and veteran presence who I would say is trending towards being a Hall of Famer at this point, I mean, that would certainly help a young pitching staff. But again... How much better does Zach Granke make you than having, you know, say Tyler Wells be at the, the back end of your rotation at this point? That's obviously a conversation to be had. I think, again, Granke and Waka, I think, would both help the Orioles if they signed them to one or two-year deals, but we shall see. Now, behind those guys, you kind of have more so the lottery tickets, the guys you're hoping on a bounce back. Our old friend Dylan Bundy is still out there after... Just a disastrous year with the Twins, a 4.89 ERA and 140 innings with Minnesota. And honestly, he pitched worse than that. I mean, he was lucky to have a sub-5 ERA. He was he was pretty terrible. I don't know if it's just all gone for Bundy. I mean, he has no more fastball velocity. Some of the secondaries are still okay, but I would stay away. Danny Duffy is out there, a left-hander who you know had all those great numbers with the Royals and when he was younger and then started getting hurt and then was traded to the Dodgers and basically hasn't pitched for the Dodgers since he went over there. 
and did come back in the minors last year, but never got back to the majors, missed all of 2022, is now a free agent again. But it seems like he's healthy for 2023, at, at least early in the season, if not for opening day. So maybe he's a cheap option. Michael Pineda's out there. Again, though, injury issues, 5.79 ERA in about 50 innings last year. And then Chris Archer, I mean, he threw 103 innings and had a 4.56 ERA for the Twins last year. So again, nothing super exciting. And that's kind of where we're at with the free agent starting pitchers. I mean, it's not a lot of guys that would really, really help the Orioles. And, you know, you can make a case for Michael Waka, and you can make a case for Zach Granke that they would come in and help the Orioles rotation and make them better. But any starting pitcher below that on the free agent market, just not nearly worth it. And you could argue that maybe those guys aren't worth it, although I would say they probably make the O's a little bit better at this point. Now, we have heard talk, Rockabaco wrote about it briefly last week, that the Orioles are, are still open to maybe bringing in one more veteran relief pitcher on a major league deal. And, and that's where most of the talent, it feels like, is left on the free agent market. A lot of the good, solid relievers, you know, none of the, the real closers, but a lot of the solid, you know, middle to setup types are still out there. You know, you got names like Andrew Chafin, Matt Moore, Will Smith, Zach Britton, and Brad Hand, a really good group right there of kind of veteran left-handed relievers. And then among the righties, Michael Falmer, Alex Colomay, Archie Bradley, Matt Whistler, Darren O'Day are still all out there as free agents at this point. And, you know, I wouldn't mind like a reunion with Zach Britton. I mean, obviously he's had the injuries and he looked bad when he came back from the injury with the Yankees last year. But if Zach Britton is healthy, that could be worth a flyer for the Orioles. You know, if they wanted to go get a guy like Matt Moore, he was really interesting for the Rangers last year. He was he was mostly a reliever, although he'd been a starter for most of his career, but he was kind of a hybrid reliever where he would come in and pitch sometimes one inning, sometimes two, sometimes three innings out of the bullpen. He was basically a much better version of what Keegan Aiken was for the Orioles last year. I think that could be an interesting veteran piece to add. And then, you know, there's always a guy like Will Smith who seemed to figure out his slider again at the end of the year last year when he got traded to the Astros. Remember the former closer of the Atlanta Braves, Will Smith? He could definitely help this team as well. So definitely some options out there if the O's want to go that route. But I honestly think in terms of pitching, they're probably not going to sign another major league free agent. I think if they add another pitcher, it'll be a starter in a trade. And I just don't know if the crop out there is enough for the Orioles to go out and get it. But when you flip to the hitting side, I honestly hold out a little more hope that the Orioles could actually sign a hitter to a major league deal in free agency before this offseason is over. And coming up next, we'll get to a couple of the names that are still out there, specifically targeting those left-handed hitters that would fare better at Camden Yards this season. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Because, listen, the NFL playoffs are here, and we're so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On. Because they're the number one sports book in America. That's right, it's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. And for new customers, you can join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed. When you place your first $5 bet, just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. And plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. Now, if we're just looking at the games, let's of course look at championship weekend in the NFL. Niners and the Eagles in the NFC championship, Bengals and the Chiefs in the AFC. And 
To be honest with you, looking at the FanDuel lines right now, I got the Bengals, it looks like, favored by a point and a half in Kansas City. I know that's because Patrick Mahomes is hobbling around with the ankle injury, but I just think the Chiefs are going to get revenge. I think the Ravens showed how you can beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and I think I would take the Chiefs probably on the money line at plus 108 in the AFC Championship game. And you can place a bet like that. You can place all your bets all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose. That's at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So we're taking a look at uh, the free agents who are still left out there for the Orioles here this offseason. Talked about the pitchers and how, yeah, the group isn't super exciting left. But you could argue there is a few hitters that maybe the Orioles could go after. Now, kind of started talking about this with Jerks and Profar because, again, Ken Rosenthal and his column on The Athletic on Tuesday mentioned that the Orioles, quote, have investigated the possibility of signing Jerks and Profar, but they're not especially confident to land Jerks and Profar in free agency. We know Profar has been attached to the Yankees as well, but the Yankees are afraid to go over the next luxury tax threshold, which most likely a deal for Profar or any solid free agent left would send them over that next marker. And it doesn't sound like the Yankees want to do that, so maybe they won't go after him. Rosenthal also said it's probably more likely Profar signs with a team with a deeper need for a left fielder than the Orioles right now. And you could argue the O's need a left fielder, but I mean, they do have you know, what at worst is an Austin Hayes, Kyle Stowers platoon right there in that spot. And and that's not terrible, especially if Stowers, you know, starts to to develop in his first full big league season. And Hayes can at least be a little closer to first half Hayes instead of second half Hayes of what we saw in 2022. But Profar, I mean, would help the Orioles. Listen, he plays mostly left field right now, but he can play right, can play a little center. You know, he can play third, short, or second if you need him to. Doesn't play as much infield as he did in his earlier days when he was the number one prospect in baseball with the Texas Rangers. But he had a 110 WRC+, plus, a 2.5 war, according to Fangraphs, last season with the Padres. He's still a productive player and would really help the Orioles, I think, as kind of a utility left-handed bat for them. So I would not be mad at that signing at all. For the Orioles, you could put him in left, you could play him in right some, you could play him in the infield, give some guys off, you know, he's been on some playoff teams, I think he would be a nice piece. But other than that, I, I generally try to look at mostly left-handed hitters were who were out there, you know, specifically, there's not many like DH first base type outfielder or, or left-handed hitters, there are mostly outfielders that I looked at. I think the next guy the O's would go to in terms of hitters probably be David Peralta. You know, had a solid year. He was with the Diamondbacks and then traded to the Rays at the deadline last year. A 104 WRC plus, 1.7 F war. A solid year for Peralta, who is 35. He's not the hitter he was, you know, five years ago. And I'd put Robbie Grossman up in that category as well. Now, Grossman did not have a good year. You know, ended up with the Braves after the trade deadline last year, but just not a good season. You know, he had a couple of good years before that, but just an 82 WRC plus and a negative war last year, meaning he was 18% worse than a league average hitter. So I don't know if Robbie Grossman is maybe done, but I still like what you get out of that bat sometimes. Ben Gamble is out there, 97 WRC plus, zero war, was basically a league average player last year, but is a left-handed bat. And then you got guys like Tyler Naquin and Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield who are, are, are still out there and I mean, uh, the, maybe the last bat I would mention is Luke Voigt. 
that is a free agent right now. I mean, you remember Voight was with the Padres after being with the Yankees and breaking out. And then the Padres dealt him to the Nationals in the Juan Soto deal at the deadline last year. So he, you know, was in and out of the lineup with San Diego. Obviously got to play every day with the Nats down the stretch at first base and DH. But he's not the hitter he was with the Yankees. Just had a 102 WRC plus last year. So basically just a tick above league average as a hitter with, with San Diego and with Washington, and you know the Nats probably could have got him on the cheap and, and didn't even want to bring him back. So that could tell you something about where Voight is at at this point in his career. But if the Orioles want another DH type on the team, maybe someone who can you know play a little first base as well. Again, Luke Voight, be even less valuable at this point in, in the 81 games at Camden Yards. With the wall move back, Voight being a big power-hitting right-hander, but he is out there. I would say the only reason I said that the hitters look better than the pitchers for the Orioles right now is that I think the upside for Profar and maybe Peralta could be higher than it is for Waka and Granke, but it's kind of on both sides where you get below the, the top two guys, and there's really there's really not much left. I mean, guys are out there. The best group of players right now out there is relievers left in free agency, but truly, if the Orioles really want to add a piece to this team, if they're not going to get Profar, Waka, or Granke, it's going to have to be a trade. And the good thing about a trade is you can get a player better than those guys because, you know, anybody theoretically could be available. Not anybody, but a lot of more players than are available here in late January in free agency are going to be available via trade if you're willing to give up some prospects to get them. So, again, Ken Rosenthal wrote that the Orioles are continuing to explore trades for a starting pitcher, and I think they're going to try hard to get it done. We'll just see if they're willing to give up the prospects. But that's probably the best chance, making a trade, going and getting a starting pitcher. Maybe you can get a left-handed bat with a trade, too. It's certainly in the cards, uh, but I think they're surely focusing on the starting pitcher right now. But we got a couple more Orioles things to get to when we come back. Hall of Fame announcement was on Tuesday night. And once again, only one player going into the Hall of Fame. It's Scott Rowland. We'll talk about how he connects to the Baltimore Orioles, why he was almost an Oriole in the early 2000s, and then a little bit about John Angelos because, whew, the PR for the Angelos family just continues to get worse over the last few weeks. So I wanted to congratulate Scott Rowland here on the podcast for being elected into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, he was the only player who was elected in, in the 2023 class. Roland getting 76.3% of the vote. Of course, you need 75% of the writers to vote you in to get in. Todd Helton was the other guy that many thought it would be a two-player class, including myself. Uh, many thought that it would be Roland and Helton. Todd Helton coming up 11 votes short. He gets just 72.2% of the vote. He'll be back on the ballot next year and all things trending. Todd Helton will be in the Hall of Fame next year. Billy Wagner, the left-handed reliever who has continued to climb up the ranks, he got 68%, so you know maybe Wagner getting closer. And then you had Andrew Jones at 58%, Gary Sheffield 55 and then Carlos Beltran and Jeff Kent both at 46%. Again, you get to vote for 10 players, up to 10 players on the ballot. Some people that have these votes just shouldn't have them. They waste them. They make it all about themselves. It's, it's not a good system, and that's why I try not to get too, too upset about Hall of Fame voting at this point. It's 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 a sham, the entire process. Happy for Scott Rowland. He deserved it. I probably would have put eight players if I had a ballot this year. I probably would have put eight players on it. Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran, Jeff Kent, Alex Rodriguez, and Manny Ramirez. That would have been my eight-player ballot. Um, 
Andrew Jones is a tough one because there are some disturbing domestic violence allegations against him. And obviously, when you look at his play on the field, his peak was super high, but it wasn't super long, and he had all the injury issues. I probably would have kept him out for that reason. I literally do not care about the steroid things. If they, It's a Hall of Fame. They were famous. They played well. They helped the game, put them in the Hall of Fame. A-Rod, it's a joke that Barry Bonds didn't get in. You know, it's a joke that Roger Clemens isn't in. A-Rod should be in. Put Manny Ramirez in. I mean, David Ortiz got in. So how are these other guys not getting into the Hall of Fame at this point? But, yeah, I mean, when you when you look at uh, this class, it's disappointing that, that Scott Rowland is the only one in. But at least they voted in somebody. I mean, there was people who thought it would maybe be a zero-person class, which is just... I mean, you, you don't want that. Obviously, Fred McGriff getting in uh, from one of the other committees, so it wouldn't be an, an empty class. Fred McGriff would get in as well. But Scott Rowland gets into the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to bring it up not just because, you know, it's the Hall of Fame, it's Major League Baseball, it's always a, a big moment in the offseason, but Scott Rowland has an Orioles connection. While he never played for the Orioles, he almost did. And, you know, shout-out to the Baltimore Sun, went back and, and read this article from 2001 to kind of refresh myself on this, but... Scott Rowland was almost traded to the Orioles in the offseason between the 2001 and 2002 seasons. In December of 2001, the Baltimore Sun reported that Peter Angelos vetoed what would have been a nine-player trade between the Phillies and the Orioles that would have sent a package of players, including, of course, Scott Rowland, to the Baltimore Orioles. Now, Rowland at that point was coming off his age 26 season. He had just won a gold glove. He had put up a 128 OPS plus. Now, he wasn't an all-star, but that next year was his first of five straight all-star appearances. So if the Orioles would have gotten Roland, he had one year remaining on his contract when the Phillies were looking to trade him. And again, they would have at least gotten an all-star season out of him. But the word on the street was there was kind of two reasons why the trade didn't get made. One was that... Peter Angelos just thought the extension price for Scott Rowland was too high and didn't want to make a trade, giving up all those prospects to just have Rowland for one year in 2002 and then let him walk. There was murmurs apparently that, you know, Rowland, it was going to take like a 10-year, $150 million contract, which would have been one of the biggest ones ever in baseball at that point. Rowland ended up signing an eight-year, $90 million contract with the St. Louis Cardinals a lot less than $150 million after Roland was actually traded to St. Louis at the 2002 deadline, and then after the season, he signed an extension. Now, it's interesting to think about kind of what would have happened if the Orioles would have made this deal, and, and there was a reported deal on the table that the Baltimore Sun had in the story as well. The Orioles would have gotten Scott Rowland plus a right-handed pitcher named Chris Brock, who the Orioles actually just ended up trading for a couple days later. He pitched in a few games in 2002 with the O's, was bad, and never pitched in the bigs again. And then an infielder in Kevin Jordan, who actually never played in the big leagues after 2001, so wouldn't have even probably made it to the bigs maybe after the trade. And a pitching prospect as well would have all gone from Philadelphia to Baltimore. And reportedly, the Orioles would have given up Sidney Ponson, who was... A young pitcher who some thought still had promise and some were always already seeing that maybe it wasn't going to work out. Eric Bedard and Sean Douglas, who were two kind of top pitching prospects for the Orioles at the time. Buddy Groom, another pitcher, and then the veteran Jeff Conine would have been the five players in the deal going to Philadelphia. And the reason Angelos vetoed it again was because he didn't want to give that much money to Scott Rowland. But there was also talks that Sid Thrift, who was at that point the GM of the Orioles, didn't want to give up both Eric Bedard and 
and Sean Douglas, who were two of the Orioles' top pitching prospects at the time, just didn't feel like he wanted to give up both of them. Because obviously at that time, the Orioles' offense was still pretty good, but their starting pitching was lagging way behind in the early 2000s. Now, Eric Bedard ended up being a pretty good pitcher for the Orioles. And of course, they were able to trade him in a deal that got them Adam Jones and Chris Tillman and George Sherrill. So if the Orioles make this deal, they never get Adam Jones and Chris Tillman. Maybe they never go on that run that they did from 2012 to 2016. You also have to think about if they get Scott Rowland and they do extend him to a deal, you know, similar to the eight years, 90 million. Yes, the Orioles have future Hall of Famer Scott Rowland, but maybe they never trade for Miguel Tejada, the deal they made a couple of years later with the Athletics to get Tejada to Baltimore. Of course, he had some great seasons with the Orioles, with Melvin Mora and Brian Roberts in that infield. And, you know, maybe they never go and get Tejada if they have Roland. And maybe Roland just plays the role of Tejada. Obviously, he's probably a, a little bit better hitter in those years, but I don't think that pushes the Orioles into even a winning season in the mid-2000s with that deal. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Obviously, it would have been great to get Scott Roland, But again, you know, on the flip side, you don't have to deal with Sidney Ponson with the Orioles any longer. But again, no Eric Bedard means no Adam Jones. So it's it's really interesting to kind of look back at that trade. I mean, Roland the next year had a really good season right after the trade. Again, a 129 OPS plus, his first All-Star appearance out of five in a row. He then came in fourth in MVP voting in 2004. That was a dominant year when he was with the Cardinals. So the O's could have had that. Maybe it could have been better. I mean, he was better than Miguel Tejada, who they maybe don't get in that deal. But it's just really interesting to kind of play out the timeline. I'm okay with how it ended because, again, the Orioles ended up with Adam Jones because they kept Eric Bedard and, and got him for that. But it would have been cool to see Scott Rowland in an Orioles uniform. Heck, maybe he he hangs around with the O's long enough and, and sticks around for them to get good. I mean, he was around, you know, right up until 2012. Maybe he's around then. Maybe he's still with the O's, helps him get back to the playoffs and – Maybe he goes in with an Orioles cap. I mean, that would have been an amazing, you know, kind of change to, to things in Orioles history, but just kind of an interesting note there on Scott Rowland. Now, wanted to finish up with the Angelos family. We're going to get into this a little bit more in uh, future episodes of the pod over the next week or so, but we had more news come out about the Angelos family lawsuit on Tuesday reported by the Baltimore Sun, the Baltimore Banner, and others that... Well, Louis Angelos is alleging more things and, and suing his brother John and his mother as well. Uh, this time, it, it looks like, at least according to Louis Angelos, that they took $65 million out of a bank account that was under Peter Angelos's name to basically swipe it away and use it on other things. John Angelos was upset that he was only getting like a $400,000 total salary from his job with the Orioles and his job with Masson. He was mad that his dad wasn't paying him more. He said that he basically knew more about baseball than any other owners and should, or at least someone connected to the owner and in the position he was in and should have been making more money. And so he took this $65 million away and certainly didn't spend it on the Orioles. It's, uh, it's, it's messy and there's a lot more to it and we'll get more into it over the next week or so, but just a, another notch on the rung of uh, get these Angelos people out of the Orioles. Unsurprisingly, John Angelos has not opened the books to reporters this week like he said he would last week. Um, it's bad. It's bad. A sale needs to come. And I, yeah, just just get them out of here. Just get them out of here. The Orioles need no ownership. And the Angeloses, I mean, it's getting worse and worse. 
for that family as we go along. But if we get more updates on the Angelos, of course, we'll have it covered right here on the pod. Of course, if the O's do sign one of those free agents we talked about earlier today, have it all covered right here as well when we're back on Friday for the final episode of the week. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.